there, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody. Welcome back to the GGWP. That is, of course, the Geeks and Gaming Worldwide Podcast, where we bring you all the news and reviews from esports, gaming, and, of course, a little bit of pop culture on the top. My name is Pyrotechnics, and I am joined by my two wonderful co-hosts. It is, of course, Chase Wassenaar and Mad Magical Gentleman. How are we doing today? Buongiorno. Doing good, doing great. Excellent stuff. And uh, I see you've been working on your Italian magical. Good job. Yeah, yeah that's my one word I know. <laughs> okay. Somebody watched... Um, God, what was Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> Love that movie. Good stuff. All right, guys. Uh, well, this is... Wow, we're, we're rolling right into it. This is episode four. Uh, we've been getting going on it. And, uh, you know, we're still, of course, on all the major platforms. If you guys are uh, wondering where to listen to us, you, of course, can find us on iTunes, on Spotify... And, of course, on Google, as well as a lot of the other minor platforms. And working on SoundCloud, working on some other ones. I know Chase has got some cool stuff going with that. So more info as it becomes available. As always, you can get a hold of us at uh, the GGWP, or GGWPOD, the GGWPod, at, on Twitter. And, of course, you can also get a hold of us on Gmail. That is at GeeksGamingWorldwide at gmail.com, and let us know. Give us some questions, some cool stuff. We'll be getting to some fan questions in just a bit. But let's dive right into it. Let's get into the news of the week. We have heaps of stuff. You guys have been really filling out the show notes. Thank you so much. And let's start with the big news that just dropped literally minutes before we started the podcast. Let's talk about 100 Thieves and them dropping their best player. What the heck's happening? I'm very confused by this because... I know a lot of people will flame Huhi all the time. They're like, oh, he's not that great. He hasn't been doing this this much. Personally, I think Huhi's actually an amazing player. He has a very different playstyle for mid laners than we see a lot of others go for. He loves to have that rotating kind of playstyle where he's more impacting side lanes. He likes to shove out the wave, go somewhere else. We always see this with his Aurelian soul. That's why he's so prevalent on that champion. But I will say there has always been that mix of and match with him and Onda, where Onda is a little bit more of the... Uh, control kind of jungler where he tries to go into the enemy jungle make sure he's putting vision down not really rotating around with the mid laner and who he's never really able to have that performance where he goes somewhere else he's able to impact a side lane and especially bot lane where he has a lot of communication with Afromu. and i don't know if if i'm very really happy with seeing who he get dropped like this because i think he has been one of the stronger performing players on the team we did see that maybe 100 Thieves were a little bit less confident because they were subbing him out. Saligo coming in and stepping in for him a couple games. But it's not like that helped much. They didn't win any of the games with Saligo playing. And it's not like Saligo is a bad player. There just are further issues with 100 Thieves. And it's not Huhi. Everyone keeps blaming him. He is the scapegoat. There's problems that I think just come down to a lack of communication between the players. And a lot of that, I think, stems from Onda. Because you listen to the comms, especially because, you know, they, they always have the... Ready, the mic checks where you can listen in. Onda's unusually quiet, especially the split. He was a huge performer in Worlds for 100 Thieves, where you look in 2018, and he was the guy who was really making sure that 100 Thieves didn't look like the worst team. They didn't look great at uh, Worlds, granted, but Onda was the star. This time around, I do not see that same Onda. I don't see him getting control of the jungle like he used to, communicating that to his teammates, and making sure that they have those proactive plays that they can go for. Sounds like they're really trying to find some answers on the 100 Thieves side. I mean, they did place towards the bottom of the league, and, you know, what do you what do you make of this news with Huhi being cut, Chase? I mean, I can't help but feel that Huhi is the scapegoat here for what are deeper problems on this team. I personally still believe that Someday is the best player on this team, but 
what is what have we always said about Huki? He's a player that plays around his side lanes. Specifically, at his best, he's always had a bot lane that he could depend on. When you signed him in the offseason, the theory was that, oh, Bang and Aphromoo are going to be carrying their weight in the bot lane. That's going to give him an easy lane to play around because we know that teams are going to be spending the majority of their early game attention on someday since he's such a clear threat. So we'll be able to focus on the other lane. That'll get us a clear advantage, who he'll be able to spread out and do the roams that he wants, and Onda will be able to facilitate that. Everything works. And then, Bang averaged negative 88 gold differential at 10 minutes across the split. And Aphromu had one of the worst splits in his entire career. And I understand that there's been a lot of very angry criticism towards Aphromu, the body doctors saying that it doesn't look like uh, he is having fun on the stage anymore. And I don't really like to speculate on all of that stuff necessarily, but I think that there are things within game we can clearly point to where Aphromu's shot calling just isn't as sharp. He's making uncharacteristic mistakes, especially in the early game. And Bang did not step up as a top three bot laner that people were expecting him to be. You know, this was a former world champion, and people thought the way that we used to think about Korean imports, which is that if you were on a good team and had a good background and the right attitude towards improving, that you'd be able to step in and be dominant early on in your LCS career. And that's just not happening with this team. So what happens? Well, who he can't go top because that's where the enemy's focusing. He can't go bottom because they can't win their lane. So he's stuck in lane doing the worst part of his skill set. That's always been his weakness. And that's why you don't sign a guy like who he if you want him to be a kind of lane kingdom player. That's not who he is. He is at his best when he's your third carry. And so maybe it's uh, it seems like 100 thieves are just kind of like scrambling to reform their identity for next split yeah it's a systemic failing and i think that probably would say you know he has t come out and said that he didn't do as great of a job managing the team as he would like and something had to change and who he is the head that was easiest to roll but i mean i'll say this about saligo 1.35 kda in his six games in the lcs that team looked decidedly worse when he was on the rift so if this is the only move that they make this offseason, I don't think Saligo's ready. I think that he's still very raw compared to the rest of the league. And this is a team that spent way too much money and spent way too much clout in the offseason saying that they were going to be a dominant force in North America for this to be the only thing we hear from them. Question is what midland well, is going to be available. That's true. The offseason is only going to just be starting. You know, For teams that aren't in the playoffs, That's it's already begun. But for teams that are, we'll see down the line. There's a lot of news to get to, so let's keep on moving with the league stuff for right now. Um, the next piece that we have, this of course, uh, is in relation to a official statement that came out from Riot Games this week. In it was pretty much just after we released our last podcast that this started happening, was um, Riot confirmed they'll be canceling the Rift Rivals tournaments for the minor regions. This of course is everybody that's not NA, EU, Korea, China, uh, including Taiwan as well. So like none of like the major traditional five power regions are included in this, but all of the smaller regions, including the OPL, which I'm currently, excuse me, which I'm currently casting, uh, is going to be no longer featuring uh, Rift Rivals tournaments. And well, this is uh, definitely a bit of a bummer for the players and the fans of that region. And uh, Chase, I know you have something to say about it for sure. Yeah, so I did a write-up of this and uh, part of, 
what I was looking to uncover why this wasn't working, I went to the viewership numbers and there was a very clear picture, which is that Rift Rivals only worked for about half of the teams in these minor regions. You look at the OPL versus the LJL, um, and I believe you guys had um, one other region in there with you. And when it came down to is that Japan's viewership was better when they just did a typical week of games than Rift Rivals was, because that's what the Japanese fans wanted to watch. They didn't enjoy watching the, the Japanese teams maybe not do as well uh, internationally. And it wasn't a huge improvement for the OPL or for Southeast Asia. Same thing. No, when look... it, was, it was not significant relative to the cost. I think that was a big part of Riot's decision-making. They talked about how the event itself was cool and was fun, but it didn't generate significant increases in viewership for a lot of the other regions Right, and Bra um, compared Bra to what it actually cost. And Brazil had the same thing. Brazil viewership was uh, lower than their average week. It was a bump for Latin America, but again, probably not to a cost-effective extent. And the other thing that I think is worth noting here is that because these teams have such little international experience against each other, these weren't rivalries in the same way that we think of North America versus Europe as a rivalry, right? Like, how many iconic Japan versus Oceania matches can you think of off the top of your head? I can't think of any. Uh, like, it, big, big fat zero, to be honest. I mean, this was this was like the step to establishing it, right? Like, Rift Rivals was new. It's easy to forget that this this kind of thing has only been out for like a year or two. Um, but clearly, it it didn't hit any sort of goals that that Riot wanted, or at least not enough of them. For the minor regions mm -hmm. so it does suck because there's less competition on that end uh for those teams for those players that don't get a lot of chances to go internationally uh but at the end of the day if there isn't the interest there right it's not going to throw up money to expense it right mm -hmm. and see that's something that i've been thinking too and i look at how rift rivals is it's it's a cool idea it's always been a cool idea of having this these different regions face off against each other but really where is the cost that makes it beneficial for Riot to want to do this? And that's where, like, I, why I actually agree with Riot canceling a lot of these Rift Rivals, because even in the first place, it's barely cost-effective for the EUNA one, where you look at that and you're like, okay, I guess, but why do I care about that more than I care about MSI? Why do I care about Rift Rivals more than I care about Worlds? You really don't. It's kind of the replacement that's trying to go in there for how we used to have the IEM uh, tournaments where that's when you'd really see these rivalries come in because they were invitation only. But you don't get that here. You get a little bit, but you're kind of like, I, you're disinterested. You get disassociated with it. So when you have even these minor regions who don't have that inherent rivalry already built into those regions, they're not going to care as much. They're not going to look at this tournament and be like, why should I bother practicing for that? when I could be practicing for my own region and worrying about the teams so I can go to Worlds or go to MSI and actually have a chance to represent my region in a meaningful capacity. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it makes a lot of sense. It, it obviously is a bummer for the fans and for the players that will miss out on uh, that type of competition in the future, but from a uh, business perspective, it does make a lot of sense overall. All right, let's keep on moving with some news. We've got some positive news to come out, though, uh, including some new stuff that's been revealed the Invictus Gaming World Championship skin line has been announced, and visuals have been posted. You can see them everywhere uh, on the internet, pretty much all over the place. Splash Arts come out. And uh, just to run down the lineups of what we're looking at, we have uh, Camille, which is picked by the jungler Ning. 
We have uh, Fiora picked by the Shy, top laner. Uh, Aurelia picked by Duke, the other top laner. There is a LeBlanc picked by Rookie, which looks pretty sweet in my opinion, especially because her staff has got that like little Invictus eye in the middle of it. Uh, Kaisa uh, picked by Jackie Love, and uh, the bottom laner is also rounded out with a Rakan, which is picked by Baolan. So this is the first time we'll see a Rakan skin that doesn't also feature a Zaya one, which I know has caused some some mild controversy in the League community. But uh, yeah, what do you guys think about the skin line? I'm kind of happy that Rakan got picked without a Zaya one. I mean, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I want Zaya and Rakan to have matching skins all the time. But it's like, if you want the players to choose who they want to represent them after they win Worlds, you can't complain when they choose a champion and the other one doesn't want that same champion. They're not going to both go, I want Zaya and Rakan. It's, you look at Balon, he played a lot of Rakan, but Jackie Love didn't play that much Zaya. He was much not more comfortable on the ships the two characters, right? Exactly. And it's not even about shipping it. It's just about what you enjoyed the most. Like, I am a little... The one I'm the most sad, actually, about is the Shy choosing Fiora over Riven. I was really hoping he would choose Riven just because that's where he really got his start way back when, when he was just a streamer and he was the Riven one trick. So I was hoping that he would go for Riven, but I understand why he went with the Fiora. It was something that he had played a little bit more in summer 2018, as well as the lead up and into World. So it makes more sense sense that he wants to go for something that was what led them to uh win worlds and as regards to something that he had once played way back in the past well and as a the shy super fan and an ig super fan in all reality i do want to point out that he wanted to pick uh the uh riven but he was not allowed to because he did not play it at worlds that was the one stipulation that riot had he played zero games of it at worlds so that he makes was sense. not allowed but if you watch the recall animation, you'll see Fiora tries to pull the Riven Sword out of the ground. So it definitely that pays is a cool touch. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. That is a cool touch. It's very nice, um, and I'm very here for I it. I just like that. I like that they all kind of have this vibe of like they look very much like they're they're part of like a, a you know like I don't know how to describe it like some sort of like like almost evil team because they have these like like glowing orange eyes and everything mm -hmm. they all like look very coordinated that way now a lot of world skins do have like level of coordination but it usually is in like mostly clothing and style whereas this feels like the most uniform skin line that we've seen from a world championship team does that does that seem fair to you guys yeah i agree i like it yeah i i dig it too the, the only complaint that i have and i will say like as an IG fan, I'm so happy this is happening. These are all champions I wanted them to pick. Riot's going to have my money. But <laughs> I do think that they could have done a little bit more with the uh, the facial variety. These are all the exact same haircut and almost the exact same face. There's that there's that meme going around Twitter like why are there why are there six of the same people? Exactly. <laughs> You're not wrong. It definitely it definitely is not the most variance. I think like if anything it's like maybe Rakan looks the most different. Right. But, and that's just because he doesn't have a round face. But but you just you put so much love into the animations and uh you know all these other stylistic things about it that are really great and then the faces you just kind of I'll make exactly the same. But, you know, that's me being the hardcore IG fan who's it's nitpicking. It's also kind of Riot, though, when you think about it. Like, I mean, how many champions have real, especially, especially lady champions, have really similar splash arts in terms of That's faces? what I was just about to say. I was just about to say, if you think about the champions that were chosen, there's a reason why Rakan's the only one that looks slightly different, because the base skins for all those champions chosen already kind of have a similar look going on. 
Yeah. Also, three of the champions have literally the same haircut. Mm-hmm. Like, LeBlanc's got, like, a poofy bob, but it's still a bob. And then you got Fiora, Camille, who are pretty much, like, both pixie cut. Shout out to TV like, Skyen, who I'm sure by now has already. Oh, he's already got a video yet. that's 30 minutes long. Oh, great! I haven't seen it yet, but he does such. No, I don't know that. Analysis. I don't know that for sure. I'm just assuming. Oh, it'll it'll <laughs> happen. It's just a matter of whether it's out by the time you guys see this. But he he does some really great stuff breaking down Riot Riot's art and some of the trends behind how they do design. So uh, if you want to get a little bit more depth as to what we're kind of hinting at here, uh, he is one of the best resources out there for that for sure. Highly recommend. He definitely is. All right, so moving on from the IG skins in one uh, Chinese team to another, uh, let's talk about one that is on fire, literally. Burn, uh, baby, burn! <laughs> last or earlier this week, uh, there was a little bit of an accident that happened at the EDG offices. Um, it was actually tweeted out, or at least the uh, you know, the English translation of it was tweeted out uh, originally, I believe, posted on Weibo, which is, of course, China's version of Twitter. Um, and we'll link this in the episode description, but, yeah, the logo, the EDG logo on the side of the building was literally on fire. And if that isn't some kind of, like, sign of things to come or things that have been, I don't know what is. This is fine. Everything's fine. I don't know what you're talking about. It's all fine. Uh, pay no attention to <laughs> the literal sign from above. It's, it's amazing. So uh, I hope that we have uh, the picture maybe in the show notes or something because it's absolutely worth seeing. The logo short-circuited. Apparently my favorite part of this story is that this happened as the players were practicing and none of them noticed. Not a single one of them were aware. <laughs> hey, that's 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 focus right yeah. there. Yeah. So someone said it was a small accident. It's okay. I asked them. It's like how is that a small? The building is on like fire. I said. It's it's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, the, you know, honestly, like the dog I'm glad in the no room. One was hurt. Yeah. Like jeez. I know. The, I, I had uh, in other, I'm sure, unrelated news. EDG lost a heartbreaking two-one series to IG on Saturday, which I have to say. Might be one of the best best of threes that we had in the LPL this year. Uh, literally one hit on the Nexus away uh, before coming up just just short. Um, so uh, just what a what a back to back retro EDG fan. Uh, <laughs> I mean, rough, this rough could times. be good news for them though, because if they're getting close with IG and they're going into playoffs against Sinnoh Dragons, I think that they are not only going to crush Sinnoh. I think they're going to go up against top sports in the next round and have a pretty good chance of beating them. Fingers crossed, right? We'll mm-hmm. have to see how it all goes. Um, but let's let's speaking of playoffs, let's talk a little bit more about uh, something a little more domestic um, because we have playoffs that have already happened in NA and EU. So we will kick off the LOL Playoff Palooza with the LCS quarterfinals. And to not too much surprise, I think the results kind of speak for themselves here. We'll start off with... FlyQuest defeating Golden Guardians. It was a 3-2 affair. It was one of the closest playoff series we had uh, across the two regions. I believe it was the closest playoff uh, match we had across the two regions this last week. And, uh, well, FlyQuest flying high after that. And they'll uh, be going on next round up against Team Liquid. So that's kind of a mountain to climb. But let's let's break it down. Let's break down what happened here between FlyQuest and Golden Guardians. So I don't know if I'd be flying high if I'm FlyQuest after that series. That, that was... A rocky series. Sure, Game 5, they looked good. That was the FlyQuest I was expecting going in. Game 5, FlyQuest. They came in, they crushed Golden Guardians. 
but you watch game four, that is not the statement. It is That was purely off of luck that Golden Guardians didn't end and execute that game like they should have. Because that would have been the nail in the coffin for FlyQuest being out of playoffs. They would be, it'd be Golden Guardians going up against Team Liquid, not FlyQuest, had they just not made that one mistake. And I honestly think everyone should go watch game four of FlyQuest Golden Guardians. I think that is, without a doubt, the best playoff game we have had thus far. There's no other game that I can even think of that is remotely close to that game because how close it was for a good majority of the game where Golden Guardians were able to get an early lead. It looked like they were going to be able to win, but slowly but surely FlyQuest were finding picks, finding people out of position, getting objectives, and being able to push back that objective that Golden Guardians were able to crew early on and win at like, what, 45 minutes, something around there? So I just don't think that I'm looking at this and saying, oh, I'm happy for FlyQuest for winning that. Bravo, bravo. I go, FlyQuest, you, you you take the Ws where you can, but you better be playing better against Team Liquid if you actually want to go to the finals. So last right. time on the GGWP, I called exactly this happening. This was a 3-2 mess of a series in which Team Liquid was going to be salivating. I Chase the profit. Every once in a while, man, <laughs> it just comes together. And this was a series that I think... Man, it's so funny when you get to a point where forcing the opposing mid laner onto meta picks is by far the strongest thing you can do. Uh, once Froggen wasn't able to get away with some of his uh, unique champion picks that maybe FlyQuest weren't as prepared for, uh, they were able to straight up come out on top. I will say I, I am happy that FlyQuest won because uh, of what Santorin shared. I don't know if you guys saw the post-game interview or his tweet about it but his grandpa had died uh the week before um he chose not to go home for the funeral so that he can play in this quarterfinals match and promised that he was gonna win this series for him and he got the happy ending on that so shout out to him for for being vulnerable and opening up on that and uh wishing him and his family the best in what i'm sure is a hard time right now but uh if you saw santorin look a little bit off um, that's probably why that was, because it turns out players are people with emotions and things. So, and playing through that is is it's that's so tough. And Santorin has had such a long road in the LCS as well. He's been in and out of Challenger in two regions, and I think for him this this meant a lot. And to be able to play through a family tragedy like that is is really big. So you know, big ups to Santorin for sure. Not just that, he was the best player. Like, Poe Belter in Game 5, I think, was the best player. But in the whole series, Santorin was my MVP. Where I looked at it, I'm like, Santorin is clearly there to win. He wants to go to finals. He doesn't even just want to stop short in the quarter, the semifinals losing to Team Liquid. He wants to beat everyone. Yeah, it's just weird yeah. that they, they apparently are uh tsm because team liquid said they were going to pick tsm no matter what happened on sunday they're weak and then by steve it was no 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 chase april fools came early that's that's all oh, it was, that's what right? it was no no this yeah. is where you say boo on you boo on your family boo on your cow bad team liquid you go with your promises cowards that's the word yeah. i was gonna use well hey, hey look Cow-ards. let's put it this way they're gonna have to face they're going to have to face FlyQuest. We'll see what happens with Team Liquid. Let's talk about another playoff match, though, because we've got TSM 
beating Echo Fox. And I don't think this was a big surprise to anybody that they went mm. three and one. I know Chase, you called this. La 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 la. You're a prophet. We get it. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Time out. Time out. That should have been a three zero. That should have been a three zero. And I am upset with TSM for that first game. Yes. Because they had it. They had that game. And people are like Rush is so good. It's like. No, TSM played terribly with the lead in that game. I was so mad at them, especially around that Baron play. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, I didn't see that first game. I actually just tuned in at the end, and I'm like, yeah, Zoe's a pretty good champion. Maybe they should ban it. <laughs> <laughs> You're so lucky that you missed it. I, the, none of that made sense to me. TSM looked sloppy as heck. Uh, Bjergsen mm -hmm. on Zillion, I don't... I don't understand what the point of a Zillion comp is when you're putting Sven on Ezreal on 9.6. So we don't have the double tier items possible anymore. Ezreal's fallen down significantly in priority. It's certainly not a hyper carry, but you pick a Zillion, Galio, everything is playing around him for fights. I think from start to finish, this was what can we get away with? What mistakes can we make and still win this game? Because I don't think they came in with a ton of respect for Echo Fox, which, to be fair, no. I didn't have a ton of respect for Echo Fox going into the series either, but I'm not being paid to win that series. So I guess I have a little bit of a different perspective on that. Uh, they got the win. They were the better team. I don't think there was any doubt that they were the better team in the following matches. Game four was the only one that was remotely close after that. And I think that that was mostly just solo uh, surprising me in that he looks like a genuine LCS top laner in a way that maybe I've doubted at different points in his career. So shout out to you for proving me wrong. Uh, also shout out to uh, Rush for going 2, 20, and 22 uh, by the end of, of that series. It's uh, like that left graphic from like 2014. Yeah. It, uh, you know, the one everyone's talking about, like the 0, 14, whatever. He just... At some point, it was very clear that Rush believed that the only way that Echo Fox could win that series is if he individually carried. And he just kept going in on well, bad fight after bad fight after bad fight and ruining any chance that Echo Fox had to legitimately come back into it. Which, I mean, I wouldn't trust the rest of his roster either, but again... You, you kind of have to believe in the people that got you there, and I. That sounds like me well, and promos. <laughs> well, 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 well. Let's 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 put a timeout on that because I also got to blame their draft on constantly putting him on Jarvan into Rexai for the re rest of the series. It's like it didn't work the first time. He got crushed. Yeah. <laughs> Why do it two more times? It's a very good question, Magical. I too would like an answer to it. <laughs> well, we won't get an answer because they only interview the people that win. So, unfortunately for Echo Fox, they are out. TSM move on to the next round. But, you know, what? one thing that's good about this whole um, Fly Quest or Team Liquid Jabate thing uh, is that the other matchup we get is TSM versus Cloud9, which is like I want the a classic NA matchup. Yeah, I wanted it. I wanted it too. But still. TSM C9. It's going to be lit. The rock, paper, scissors of the top three teams in the league dictates that now, Team Liquid, congratulations on your championship. Because as we all know... Watch FlyQuest beat them. Cloud9. I will I will laugh so hard <laughs> if FlyQuest beats Team Liquid. I w watch my Twitter. If that happens, there will be a lot of spam on there. And it will be just me laughing over and over again for Tackles three hours straight. This, this is a Team Liquid <laughs> squad that said... Going into this, that anything less than semifinals at Worlds would be a disappointment. If they can't get past FlyQuest at a best of five, we've got some concerns. I don't think that that's going to yeah, happen. Well, I don't think know. FlyQuest looks like look, look, look. the Kingslayer. International competition disappointment and 
NA, name a more iconic duo. <laughs> Touche. Um, yeah, all I've got is all I've got is memes, guys. That's it. You know, like that's that's literally that's all fair. that's in my bag. Of okay, clothes. so I'll say this. We'll just go into predictions. So C nine three one over TSM. Okay. I, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm going with the memes. We're getting a three two fly quest. Let's right. go. Okay. Let's go. Now we're gonna we're gonna have this in writing too. So we'll, you know, we'll make it. Are you you want to make this Wait, spicy? Hold on. Wanna, hold wanna, on. You want to hold on. I'm going magical. Hmm. You know, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, first off, we need to know what Chase picks, and then I'll pick mine. Uh, okay. I'm going to give this a 3-2 for Cloud9 over TSM, and Team Liquid's okay. going to be FlyQuest 3-0. And it's going to be real <laughs> sad and anticlimactic, but it's going to be the correct result. Okay. So, I will split the difference. I will say... I will say FlyQuest... No. I will say TL 3-2 over FlyQuest. I think they'll okay. put up a little bit more of a fight. So the way this will work then is we'll only put a Lord bet on the FlyQuest Team Liquid series. Okay. Um, I think if the exact results go the way each of us predict, then the other two people have to call the third person Lord whatever on the next episode of the podcast. Sound good? Brilliant. I like it. I like it. But only Let's in that it. instance. Nobody wins if it's FlyQuest 3-0. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> if it's and then we're all just going to be like, wow. <laughs> if it's FlyQuest I think we all know that that sucks. We're all winners. That's the thing, is we all become Wait, lords. Wait, but, but are we? But are we? Yes. Yeah, I'm writing it down, by the way. <laughs> so I got I got 3-2. I got 3-2 um, Team Liquid over FlyQuest. Magical's got 3-2 FlyQuest over... Uh, Team Liquid, uh, or, yeah. Uh, FlyQuest, yeah. Magical's got 3-2 FlyQuest over, over Team Liquid. And then Chase has got a 3-0. All right, so hopefully, don't fail us now, FlyQuest. Otherwise, let's go. Lord Wassenaar is is coming. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, magical, cool, cool. And and last but not least, it is 3-0 for TL. All right, cool. We got it all in writing. We got the Lord benefit. Boom. Now that is predictions for the LCS. Let's move it on over across the Atlantic to the LEC playoff round one. And, well, let's start with the big match one. It was Fnatic. They chose Vitality in game number one, or round number one, and they absolutely trounced them. It just, it wasn't close. It was a 3-0. Fnatic clearly looked like the stronger team, and I think this was no surprise here. This was probably the most obvious result out of any of them, at least in my mind. What did you guys think? Yeah, I was hoping Vitality would take a game just because I think that Vitality has some explosive players on it. But yeah, Fnatic's real good. It turns out having four of the best guys from a world championship finalist uh, oh, turns out pretty well in a best of five series. Yeah. Um, Young Buck's really good at drafting. Uh, Reckless is really good, just straight up. I think Broxa on the Carpus yep. uh, impressed me. I don't think that's something we've seen a ton of him in the regular season, and what we did see wasn't. Uh, we did see it against the G two in the G two series. That was super crazy. I remember yes. that. Like he's been he's picked it. He's been very active. He's picked it against uh, people like Yankos because we don't want Yankos to get it. That's been something I've seen. But to see him take it proactively and for them to prioritize him in the draft, they first picked it against Vitality in on both uh, game one and game two, which was certainly a change in priority to some extent. Um, and he does play it very aggressively, and I think he. Uh, he plays it in a way that works very well for what Fnatic's strengths are, so it was nice to see this all come together and uh, have Fnatic kind of put the exclamation point on the series. 
Also, yeah. can we just give praise to Bwipo? Bwipo, there was the dive. I believe it was game one. He was on the GP. And there's three people trying to dive him. He gets to, he gets to I think, a kill and an assist in the dive and lives the entire time. Just like, you know what, Bwipo? Well done. This is this is the Bwipo I've been waiting to see all season. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. Like, it's, uh, it's good to see Fnatic really stepping it up, you know. And all things considered, if you look at their split and review, like, at the very beginning, there was a lot of question marks, not just because of how they were performing, but because there was that big void of having Caps, you know, move over to G2, and, and how would Nemesis do? And, well, I mean, by the end of this series, I think you're just like, yeah, he's going to be fine. Give him an overpowered pick like Kale, and all of a sudden he's going to just run full steam over the opposition. Um, I mean, Jizuke got bopped, like, yes, really hard. I I don't think Kale's going to make it through a whole lot more picks and bans, to be fair. Uh, we've seen how powerful that champion is. Well, I think the biggest thing for me, and I've I've been saying this for a while, is the change on 9.3 to change crit marksman was the Fnatic patch. Because it didn't only change crit marksman, that's when it introduced Conqueror into the game in the form we know now. <laughs> and Bwipo was one of the guys who really likes to play these carry top laners, which have now been having their resurgence. We see Jace, we see more Aatrox, we see the Gangplank, Lucian, Hecrum is coming back as well. And this is something that Bwipo loves. So pretty much Fnatic have just been having a field day. This season started off rough for them because nothing seemed to be going their way. That, Like you said, they had lost caps. Nemesis wasn't fitting in. But then suddenly the meta starts shifting to them. Everyone starts to click. It looks like they got the puzzle pieces all matched up. And now you see the pretty picture of Fnatic. Yeah, everything's falling into place for them. And it's, it couldn't be happening at a better time. So really good stuff on the Fnatic side. Uh, they will, of course, go on to face off against Splice in the next round. We will talk about that in a minute because we have to talk about how Splice beat SK Gaming 3-1. to After losing the first game, Splice bounced back and basically uh, get the delayed sweep on up against SK. And you now it's good to see Splice putting things together as well. So, and Chase, what did, you, what did you make of that matchup? So, I, I think there's a lot to be said about how this was not the cleanest win in the world for Splice. The game one was incredibly sloppy, I think, on both sides. Game two, similarly. You know, if we're going to go off of the joke of uh, if you are ahead by a considerable amount of gold and can't win within 35 minutes, you're a bad team, uh, or at least bad yeah, at both closing games. both games were like... 40 minutes mm -hmm. plus in, in this meta. Yeah, so uh, if you believe in that Sven quote, then this wasn't a great example of a team that just didn't quite understand how to close games. But I, for me, there's only one important thing that truly came out of this series, and it is Norskaren with the triple ping on the Rek'Sai Infinity Edge build from Selfmade. That Selfmade had spent a whole bunch of time on Twitter talking up as, oh, what a great buy. Oh, this, if you're not picking this, you're trolling. And no one took him seriously. And he didn't do it in game two, but game four, everything on the line, he chooses to go Infinity Edge second item on Rek'Sai. And you're going to be shocked to hear this, guys. It didn't go well. It didn't oh, work. No. What? No. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. I, I can't believe it. Oh, my God. And then he flames everyone about it. Oh. And then Norskaren tweets hey, look, out. Look, if, if, if you're going to pick some stinky Gouda, like, you can't be too surprised if no one wants to stand near it. I mean, it's like me telling people to build Omerker. I know at the end of the day, nobody besides me is going to build it. But oh, at I'll least it, I know but that. I, but I troll, I troll solo queues. So, yeah. <laughs> Norskaren Nor on Twitter called it the L9 Rek'Sai build, which was just <laughs> <a> beautiful. <laughs> okay, can we 
talk about Narskaren has become like like the master of memes. Like he was pretty good when he first debuted, but this next split, man, like this is like one of those season two better than season one things. They mm-hmm. grow up so fast, you know. Just as someone who loved him <laughs> so on the Rocket days, I, I will say though, because I also you love him. everyone on Rocket. Come on, of Chase. Of course, of course yeah. I do. But he's I continue to love him. Um, it's in it's in my fandom contract, as uh, Shadow would say. Uh, shout out to you, Shadow. I know you're listening to this. Uh, I do want to say too, because if I'm gonna bring up Santorin, I should also point out that Wurlib from SK Gaming uh, also had his grandfather die uh, a week before the match, and apparently mm. the coach had decided to bench him. Uh, without telling him, and then he's like, no, no, I really want to play. He fought for the job and then uh, did not have the happy ending. So also condolences to Wurlib and his uh, his family during a hard oh, man, time. That is rough. But, but props to Wurlib. Wurlib was, in my opinion, the best performing player on SK that weekend. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that I constantly looked at and like, if they're going to win, it's off the back of Wurlib. His Hecarim looked great. The only game he really had the hiccup on was game three. And I think that was just because it was a bad matchup into Fizzitachi. The Jace Jarvan, I believe, was what it was. But... All in all, it just he looked fine. He looked like he was the guy who was doing the best. I mean, look at game four, where his Hecra might not have had the most impact compared to Fizzitachi's Shen, but that's a Shen matchup. The Shen's always going to have more global pressure than you. The real reason that I don't think they won that game is because Selfmade just did not look good in that game. He looked like he was too squishy. He had the eye edge that wasn't working. And sure, you can say that it worked all you want, but when you go one, six, and nine, when you're uh, one, six, and three, sorry, and you're behind a lot of gold just going into all these fights, you get blown up almost instantly by people. You can't go and tell me that this is suddenly the most broken thing in the game. Yeah. And I think for Whirlib as well, like he's had such a long journey getting back to like a main spot in the LCS. Like the first time we saw this guy on the big stage, he was a part of Giants gaming back in the day when it was like banned jacks or nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was it was yep. the twenty fifteen Giants that were like surprising people. That I was miss that those. lineup with like, you know, Pepinero and and um, Frederick, who was like, you know, the El Bandito, the Baron Steel King. Um, but then he like shuffled around like heaps and heaps of challenger teams and, and academy teams, like Huma, Fnatic. Um, Academy. He, pl- he played for Mad Lions in the in the most recent EU Masters and, and won with them. And I think to see him back on that big stage, it is kind of vindication. It is kind of like a, a recognition of the skill that he has that he's been able to fight through it. So despite losing in this round, you know, I think I think Wurla definitely has the competitive edge. I'm looking forward to seeing more of him as he's kind of had this renaissance. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to. Uh, predictions for the next round. It is, of course, going to be Fnatic versus Splice. We just talked about those two teams. Uh, now, this is because the EU uh, LEC has a different kind of playoff format than NA. You have, like, kind of this, like, second round thing going on where you'll have teams that have kind of moved a little bit past the uh, the first round. Instead of having traditional buys, they kind of end up facing each other a little bit later on down the line. You have a loser's bracket, etc., etc. I won't go into detail. We talked about it last time. Um... But suffice it to say, we have Fnatic versus Splice, and am I right in thinking that everyone is on the Fnatic hype train for this one? 3-0, yep. 3-0. I, I, I think that they're just too good of a team. The, honestly, I, I think they are the best European team right now. I don't even think G2 or Origin are better than them. I think Fnatic are the best and that they will win it all, and they are going to go into this one. It's going to be very clean, calculated, to the T, by the books, gameplay from Fnatic. Uh, they look like the strongest wow. team in the West right now. 
Uh, even Liquid we saw take a little bit of a dip towards the end of the split. I happen to think it's because they had nothing to play for for their last week. But regardless, I think that Fnatic are playing like a team with a lot to prove. Like a team that spent the first half of the season being told, oh, you're not good enough anymore. Everything's gone wrong. You can't do it without caps. And it's used that as a fire and a motivation to become a team that is so fun to watch and so dangerous. I, I cannot wait to see. I guess we get to see him for four playoff rounds because of this format that might not uh, feel very fair given the power level of Fnatic in that three seed. But uh, well, more playoff we'll matches see. for us, I guess, is good. I guess is good. I yeah. love watching this team hey, play. Hey, the fans win. The fans win at the end of the day. So that is it for our League of Legends playoff palooza. And let's move on to the Overwatch League because it is the off season. They'll be starting up there. Second stage very soon, but in the meantime, in the downtime, in that small little window, there has been absolutely heaps of news. The first thing that came through is, uh, if you follow the Overwatch League, you'll know that this has been a little up and down for a while, but the official news has been that Atlanta Reign star player Defran, who has been known as a very popular streamer within the Overwatch League community, officially announced that he would be retiring after stage one, and going back to streaming full-time under the Atlanta Rain banner. So, this uh, I, I think for some people in the know, this is not a huge surprise. He announced retirement initially before the season even started, but kind of went back on it. It was sort of a debate. Speculation is that he's you know he had intended to do it all along, but wanted to play once one uh, one stage with it. Chase, I know you have some more information on this. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who was the number one best jersey seller in the league, right? He was someone with a huge fan base on Twitch of nearly 400,000 followers, uh, a guy who really went out of his way to uh, regroup after his initial uh, kind of setback, that uh, rage retire only to come back after someone reminded him that a contract is a thing that he signed. And I think that there's a lot of respect that he is owed for having played through that stage and done as well as he did. His teammates have all said nothing but nice things about him and said that he acted like a very nice teammate. Um, he's going to now be a streamer for the Atlanta Reign, so the popularity boost that he's provided for the team is going to continue to be a thing. Uh, I think that ultimately, if you're the Atlanta Reign, you look at this and it is a setback. This is a team that is going to be distinctly weaker than they were before Defron left because he is a genuinely good player in this league but you're having him step down at a time where you still have the majority of the Overwatch League overall season to adjust to figure out what the rest of your roster is going to look like um, I think that their stage two schedule is one that is manageable and so they should have enough places to try some things and really figure out what the world looks like and in all reality, you know, he was someone who had to play a lot of Zarya in a flex spot because the GOATS meta meant that he wasn't playing his typical DPS heroes. Now that's going away, so it's likely that the Rain would have had to make at least some changes anyway. So I think that it's unfortunate for people that really enjo enjoyed watching him play, but I think that ultimately this is the path that makes the most sense for the personality that he has had and shown to have uh, now he gets to do the thing that he loves and interact more directly with his fans uh, and the rain will hopefully figure it out it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes next and, and what moves they make if any 
uh, as we see so well, many. Well, it didn't take them that in. long. Didn't take them that long. You know, we have heaps and heaps of other stuff uh, in terms of roster signings, and one of those uh, is a DPS player for the Atlanta Reign. It is Baby Bay. They picked him up from the San Francisco Shock, uh, really just a couple of days after this announcement. So, I think this is a player that generated a lot of buzz during the. Uh, last year's signing period, I think San Francisco kind of had a lot of uh, hype around him. Um, so Atlanta's definitely not wasted a whole lot of time in actually signing new players. Uh, let's talk on this a little bit before we move into some of the other signings and, and trades that have happened, including uh, players and coaches being dropped around the league. Um, Chase, do you want to go into a little bit more about Baby Bay? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, Baby Bay is a guy who obviously uh, did a lot of work for the shock over his career. Um, someone who... Uh, I, I think can be a very pivotal player for them in that spot. Certainly has the experience that you'd be looking for in that position. Um, I think that he fits in with them nicely. I can't say that I've done a huge look into his uh, current uh, hero pools, what he's been practicing, but historically he's been a very good uh, McCree and Widowmaker uh, player. So uh, we could look to see them maybe move uh, into that. Uh, obviously, the new meta is going to be exciting, man. There's a lot of players been waiting to pick up things like that. Yeah, I think it's going to be a huge benefit for uh, for a lot of the teams that that really fell apart during the goats meta. Absolutely, and he's a guy that's gotten better every season. You know, you look at the shock just came off of the best performance in their franchise history, so now he's taking that experience and that growth over to the rain, who I think uh, are certainly going to try to make the most out of it. Of course, uh, that's not the only move that came in today. The big other trade that I think uh, is going to uh, kind of surprise some people will be that uh, Note front was traded from the Boston Uprising to the Dallas Fuel in exchange for RCK. Those are two of the more notable players for, for each of their respective teams. Ha, notable. Note. <laughs> Didn't even attend that one. Sorry. I can't take credit. I want to take credit. I, think I cannot. No, I'll take credit. Yes. I totally just stole your moment. Please, please do. That was very good and worthwhile. Uh, I, but seriously, I, I love uh, Note is, is a guy that you know Crunch talked with in the past. Has a good head on his shoulders. Kind of gives uh, the fuel the kind of internal leadership that maybe they've been uh, struggling with historically as an organization. Things have definitely... Uh, turned around for them as a whole, but uh, it's never a bad idea to incorporate a guy like Note who's just happy to, to fill in and, and do whatever the team needs him to do in those moments. RCK, meanwhile, I think adds a significant bit of firepower to the Boston Uprising. I think they're a team that uh, right now only did slightly better than uh, the fuel did, and only by like a plus one in the map differential, I believe. And so they're certainly looking to make some changes as well. And I think that they already have a, a, a shot calling system and an in game leader that uh, can kind of take over uh, just a little bit more of what Note was doing. So getting them RCK, a guy who's going to come in and, uh, and really take some people on and, and try to make a name for himself, I think makes a lot of sense. A lot of stuff makes sense about these yeah. moves. Uh, speaking of moves as well, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of them. Uh, a lot of coaches getting dropped from teams that didn't perform so well in the first stage. Uh, speaking of Dallas Fuel, their coach Coco has been released. In addition, Toronto Defiant dropped their coach Don. Uh, and the Washington Justice, who 
Uh, we're pretty much towards that bottom of the standings. Dropped uh, their coach, Obasil. So a lot of those are, coaches are going to be free agents now. It's also been rumored. Did they? Yeah. Did, is that confirmed? the head coach? Yeah. Is that confirmed? Damon. Okay, so Damon's officially been released as well. So yeah, that's that's a lot of coaches getting dropped on. Uh, we have a handful of other uh, signings as well um, in terms of trades. The Justice also picked up Arc, a main support from the New York Excelsior. Um, so that should add a little bit to their roster. And also, the Boston Uprising added a player named Persia as a new signing for flex support. So that's kind of the uh, the bulk of it for the main Overwatch League teams. There's lots of other stuff happening on the Tier 2 level, but we won't get into detail there. So a lot of stuff coming through. Overwatch League is going to pick back up next week with uh, our next stage. So expect a lot more news and exciting stuff coming out of there. But we got to keep rolling on the esports section because it's very beefy and we're already a little behind schedule. So let's start talking about CSGO because there's some big news Woo! that came out. A map rotation, and it's a pretty surprising one for me. Cash is out and Vertigo is in. Yeah, it's something that a lot of people are upset about. So I had a really good conversation with one of my friends, Boggs. He's a really talented uh, guy in the CSGO community. He wants to become a caster as well. I really think he should pursue that. But he was giving me a bunch of insight on what this does. And really what it does is it helps Astralis. That's the bottom line that you have to know. Anyone out there, if you're wondering, pretty much any CSGO fan already knows that it's going to uh, benefit Astralis. But Astralis already permanently banned cash to begin with and now they have vertigo coming in which a lot of teams don't like already and they're it's like the best team period so like exactly for the most dominant org exactly and a lot of teams just aren't happy about this a lot of the teams who want to try to take down astralis just don't look at this as like a, oh this is a great move we're very confident with it in fact how they changed vertigo made people kind of question it because it's now a uh, two-story kind of thing where you have i think it's the counter stairs they start on the uh, stairs going up to b or something upstairs and then the uh terrace are downstairs getting the, trying to get everything uh, set up but it's really weird it's just a really weird setup where you have to pretty much go and funnel into three different points that's all you really have that you can go through there's no cheeky flanks that you can try to go for and you can also fall off the map if you're not paying enough attention i doubt we're going to see that in competitive sense but that's something you have to be careful of is honestly not knowing where you are exactly on the map you're trying to scope down trying to see if you can peek and then suddenly you fall off you're dead you don't have you don't get a fight back on that and those just those changes didn't make people feel happy where they're pretty much expecting that vertigo is going to be one of those maps that's banned by everyone because nobody is going to want to play on that map no one really wants to try to say okay i understand how to play this map very well they're just gonna be like eh, why bother even learning it we're just gonna permanently ban it we're gonna focus a lot more on nuke or dust 2 those are the maps that will kind of let fill in the void of cash and even though those aren't necessarily the maps people are that happy about either it's better than having to deal with vertigo they don't have to worry about that weird top down kind of play style and getting funneled into two points where it's only going to give free kills over the counter terrace at every single moment yeah oh, fair enough um all right, so there's a little bit more news in CSGO before we pop out of esports entirely, and this is kind of relates to multiple titles, actually. But we had uh, some information come out from ESL on the most recent IM Kedavitz, which happened uh, at the end of February, early March, so about a month back, saying that they ended up with about 174,000 fans attending across all events. That is CSGO, StarCraft Two, Dota 2, and Fortnite. That would make it the most attended live esports event 
in history, which is pretty significant. And kind of it's being kind of the home of esports in a lot of ways, uh, especially when it re relates to Europe, just for that event particularly. That's pretty big news. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think that uh, Katowice has been a great city for ESL for a while now. Uh, they keep expanding it uh, every year into incorporating more and more events of uh, pretty significant size. I think that some of the fun facts they, they put out there, uh, the CSGO Major had over 125 million hours watched over the tournament, which was ESL's most watched broadcast ever, as you might imagine. Average uh, audience per minute uh, was 860,000. I'm assuming that's for the finals rather than um, the overall event, because I can't imagine the round-robin group stages were, were quite there. Uh, 230 million viewers uh, overall over the course of the uh, event in terms of daily uniques. Uh, this is a really big event that CSGO, uh, I think, really mastered the format for the CSGO Major. I don't think we can go back now. If you just look at um, how the uh, group stage Swiss worked, where whenever a team could potentially be eliminated or advance, they had to play a best of three rather than a best of one. It was the perfect number of games, more spread out over days. More people were able to watch. It was more exciting. I think that it created some really fun storylines, and it did feel like everyone who got through deserved to get through. Uh, and I think that they have a lot to be proud of with this event. And I'm glad that uh, Katowice has continued to embrace it, and fans are continuing to to show up and uh, and really enjoy it. Yeah, no, it's it's exciting stuff. Um, all right, well. With that, uh, let's move on to our gaming news and pop culture because we're, we're getting close to about an hour into the show right now and I want to keep things rolling for you guys. So let's start it off, uh, unfortunately, with a little bit of bad news, and that is with regards to EA, they, uh, they kind of pulled a blizzard where they laid off 350 people. And this is on the back of Apex Legends being one of the most successful releases of all time for a free-to-play game. This kind of feels bad. They laid off 350 people across publishing, marketing, customer support. Um, it does smack of some restructuring, but uh, you know this this is rough that gaming companies continue to do some cost cutting in, in the ways of layoffs. And sadly, with EA, it's just it's something I when I hear this kind of news and it's coming from EA, I don't get surprised. And that's it's a sad thing to say. It's like I don't have that confidence in them as a company to be like, oh, they they know how to restructure properly to make sure that they're trying to really push Apex Legends, which has clearly been one of their biggest hits in a long, long time, where it's like, you can tell that this is going to probably last, like, it's going to have that same impact that Fortnite had for their bottom line, where they're going to get a lot of money, they can constantly push out these skin lines, battle pass, etc., etc. I mean, they made $94 million in their first month of release. That's, exactly. That's as a, as a free-to-play, so they clearly figured it out. Exactly. But for me, it's just... EA themselves don't know how to now push things to say, let's really try to maximize that kind of profit from Apex Legends. Instead, they're like, oh, because Apex did all this stuff and it's free to play, we're going to fire the people that were on this project instead of moving them and hire new people for that one. Yeah, I, you know, this is something that Jim Sterling's talked about a lot. Uh, we saw Jason Schreier put out an amazing article from Kotaku today talking about uh, what went wrong with Anthem and the kind of culture of fear that tends to dominate a lot of the individual developers working on these games. 
this is the product of a cycle we're seeing more and more where companies feel a need to promise the moon to their shareholders. And then if they don't set a new record on top of the record they already promised they were going to do, well, then, of course, that comes down on the employees and certainly never the executives, right? Unless you're Nintendo, in which Miyamoto famously took a pay cut multiple times when the Wii U failed to live up to expectations uh, so that no one in the company ever had to take a hit. Uh, EA and Blizzard would never think of doing that. That kind of leadership is something that apparently is just off the table. Um, I think this is incredibly disappointing. I don't think that you can look at the sales numbers for Anthem and the insane success of Apex Legends and say that downsizing was in order. I think that uh, certainly uh, these are growing pains, but they're growing pains that are caused by their own self-inflicted kind of strategies. And I think that if we're not careful, this is so quickly becoming the new normal where we're just expecting these AAA studios. I mean, for a lot of people, I don't think the EA News even really hit all that hard. It was just like, oh, another set of layoffs. And then we all just moved on. Like that's a normal thing to say in the games industry for one of the most successful companies out there. And yeah, I think you hit it on the head, Chase. Yeah. That's 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 the rough thing is that this doesn't even feel that shocking in the wake of the Blizzard thing from last year. It just see, feels more and more normal that uh, companies are, are basically dropping people at the drop of a hat to try and maximize profits. And, you know, it's never a one-to-one -one in a vacuum. It's not like, oh, they made all this money so they're cutting a bunch of people to like try and make it like cheaper or whatever these people may not have necessarily worked on the game themselves but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day you still see people getting dropped when they're also posting record profits and there's something screwy going on there and, and i hope the games industry gets to a healthier state for sure because right now it doesn't feel that way yeah definitely agree but it's it's just it's sad yeah um, well, let's, you know, we're, we're kind of bouncing up and down a little bit. Let's move on to something a little happier at the moment. Um, let's talk about uh, some cool stuff that came out for, from Nintendo. Uh, between them and their partnership with Twitch Prime, they are now offering 12 months free of Nintendo Switch Online, which is the online playing service that goes with Nintendo Switch. It's not ex extremely expensive. It's about 7 or 8 bucks, I think, for a few months at a time. But this is what you need to play online with a lot of their titles, like Super Smash Bros., uh, but if you have Twitch Prime, you get basically a year for free, which is pretty hype. I just uh, I just redeemed it myself. So this is this is pretty that. cool news for people who may not have been, you know who, who might have been sitting the fence about it. It's really cool. I I like that Twitch, Amazon, they've been really working on trying to make sure that they can incorporate a lot more gaming into what they can give to people. I think the partnership between Twitch and Riot, or now they're able to give those capsules out to people who have Twitch Prime. Now we have this. This is this is huge because that cost. I think I bought it for like fifty bucks like two months ago. I wish that I had known that that was going to be free because oh, I would have no. just saved my money for it. But I'm, I'm probably still going to grab it so that because I think you can add on to it. So then yeah. I have two years. I'm like, OK, cool. Yeah, I think you can redeem it for like a certain amount. I just redeemed. It's like three months. And then if you wait, if you like wait 60 days after the first redemption and you still have Amazon Prime or Twitch Prime, rather, um, you can just redeem it again. So that's the way it seems to work. I just was really lazy about getting online. I haven't really used my Switch much out here in Australia. So 
I think it's pretty cool that they're doing that. That's a nice thing, definitely on the side of uh, Twitch and, and Nintendo. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we'll be seeing more people popping into the space for that. Although I don't think that's really a concern right now because there are heaps of people playing all of Nintendo's online games already, especially Super Smash, which has been really big. Um, another game that uh, got some hype this week was Borderlands 3. Dropped a trailer, Gearbox, uh, putting it in full swing. It looks super exciting. It's going like full Mad Max meets Cyberpunk. Um, I mean, I know Chase, you definitely put this one in here. Magical, you and I watched it before the start of it. What do we, what do we think of all this one? It, it looks, it looks beautiful from my end. Guns with legs, guys, guys. Hey, don't forget about boo. Portal. Hey, 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 don't forget about Portal. They started I, this. I'm not. Yeah, but you couldn't, you couldn't send a gun with legs out on its own. To this go is true. Leg this gun is true. Things. I. All right, so now you're telling me we need Portal 3 where you can play as GLaDOS and you can tell send the uh, turrets out. Oh, come Got on, it. Magical. We all there? know that Valve can't count to three. Let's not get crazy no, here. Right, <laughs> but, but Gearbox can. This is my Portal 3. <laughs> but also... Uh, I, so, yeah, this is exciting. They teased over a billion guns, which I'm, I'm sure is not actually the number of guns that will be here, but it sure does feel like it. When the way Borderlands does Mozambique here. I uh, no, they 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 had a really cool bit in the trailer where they dropped down a bunch of guns out of the sky and they were all different colors and my brain immediately went, "This is Apex." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, man. They were all like purple oh. and and like an orange colored and I'm just like, my brain has now been trained to see gun rarity. This is amazing. Yeah, um, it's real. Yeah, this is this is exciting. It looks real fun and I, I do think that they're you know you look at. The success of Apex Legends, certainly that art style is showing that it has a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people are very into it and enjoying it. So I'm not surprised that, you know, this seems like a perfect time to announce Borderlands 3 in a lot of ways because of that. I think that Borderlands 3 in a lot of ways is the kind of AAA game that uh, I've been missing because it's a game that just, it, it's self-contained. It just has a whole bunch of loot. Um, it it hits a very fun and silly tone it doesn't try to be anything super serious or you know the game breaking uh sort of uh you know game changer it's just it does what it wants to do really really well and just wants you to have fun and go along for the ride and that sounds great gearbox i would love to go along for the ride with you this seems like a fun time yeah i'm definitely going to be looking at it um secret I haven't told uh, you guys. I never actually played Borderlands 2. Um, but it's been bum, sitting bum, in my bum. Steam inbox for over a year. And I think oh, as soon as I get worse. home, it might be just about time to dust it off. So I never played Borderlands 1. I always watched it because I always had friends who owned that. Same with Borderlands 2. I would go to friends' houses and play it there. But I never owned it myself. So I never really had that. But... I always have loved the art style, loved just the look of it. So Borderlands 3, it's like you said, Chase. It's just, it's perfect. It's, this is the time for it. This is when you need to release it, where everyone, including myself, have been wanting a game like this. And you better bet I am buying that game when it comes out. I got my new computer that I was building before we started recording this. I'm going to be putting it on that beast, and I'm going to play it on the best graphics I can. Oh, it's going to be fun. He was downloading his RAM as we were getting set up in the, the chat. <laughs> Anyways, uh, before we close out the gaming news, let, let's talk about another topic. This one's going to be a little bit more on the heavy side as well. Uh, normally, during uh, April Fool's, which just passed uh, a day or two ago, depending on which time zone you're in, 
uh, te- uh, companies and, and websites and, you know, and people in general do all sorts of funny stuff, and it's usually just a big day of pranks, and sometimes they miss, sometimes they hit. Uh, but Reddit's R Games decided to do something completely different. They ended up closing the subreddit over the course of the day and dedicated it basically to uh, combating online harassment, especially of marginalized communities. This was uh, a really, really interesting approach uh, to trying to combat the issue and to combine it up with April Fool's. And uh, I know, Chase, you had some uh, some thoughts on this. Do you want to share them? Yeah, I thought this was awesome. Um, I, I straight up hate April Fool's. I think it's the worst holiday out there. And uh, it's the worst day to be a journalist because everyone's lying to you and telling you it's a press release. So I just, I, you know, I don't have high hopes for April Fool's. And this kind of made my heart warm a little bit. You know, I think that Right now, we live in a world in which uh, there is a lot of, of flame and, and hatred and, uh, and bigotry that comes up. And, you know, when it comes up, you know, people will use terms like heated gamer moments or whatever to dismiss it. And we, uh, as a community, don't always do a great job of having these conversations. It's seen as, oh, well, you know, we can't do anything about it. There are always going to be 13-year-olds on the Internet. But as this post points out... They've got receipts, and it's not just kids who are doing this. This is a wide range of people from a whole bunch of different discussions that bring up, you know, transphobia, homophobia, Islamophobia, racism, misogyny, pro-pedophilia, pro-race. Like, it just, all of the worst things that you can think of. Worst things on the internet that you can think of. And they've got albums, multiple albums they put together about just examples of this. And we need to face this. We need to, as a community, we need to say that things can get better, that we believe that we can improve and that we can address these things and create a better environment for everybody. Because at the end of the day, uh, gaming is awesome and we should want to invite as many people as possible to share in that with us. Uh, You know, it's the idea of when, when people try to say things about how, oh, you know, there aren't enough women in esports. Instead of getting in on the, you know, the what talent do they have, it comes down to do we can we create a culture in which women want to play an online game enough to get to the point where they become that good when right now I certainly uh, feel for all of my female friends who try to play a game like League of Legends because it is not a fun place to be a lot of the time. And it's not just... Our games, our games are the ones that we're going to obviously think about, but this shows it's everywhere. Single-player games, multiplayer games, uh, news discussion, trailer, whatever it is. It's not limited to games either. I mean, we talk about a it's lot on this, on this show. We talk about esports and, and and gaming and pop culture, and like it's it's a part of all those communities. It really is. Like like Gaming is a very obvious one that you can point a finger at and look at it because there's examples of it so frequently but the same thing is true in, uh, you know, for instance, in a community that I'm very fond of in, in comics. There's a lot of gatekeeping that happens. Um, and it just it just feels like there's there's no there's no rhyme or reason behind it. It's just people have this, some people have this primal fear of communities expanding and they, they don't, they don't want people who are outside of the way that they look and, and, and the culture that they come from being a part of it. And I, I don't understand that. And I don't understand that level of hate. And I, I think it is important to stand up and say, hey, this isn't okay. We got to welcome everybody 
into our tent. It's a big enough tent. Everyone can be a part of it. So you're 100% so, right, spot on, Chase. So I'm going to I'm going to I haven't really talked about this much with people. So I studied politics back in college. That was my major. I graduated magna cum laude at UC Irvine uh, with a degree in that I had a comparative politics and government with the United States focus. And so I do a lot. I did a lot of research when I uh, graduated too, looking to try to go into politics initially and what people need to do and this kind of thing. And I kind of left because I just, I didn't like the atmosphere. The atmosphere of a lot of that is pretty much what you guys are describing, how people think that our, you know, just gaming culture is itself, but it, it applies to everyone. This is something that everyone needs to fix, and this is why I have a lot of respect for someone like uh, AOSE out there, uh, Alexandria Acosta-Cortez. I think she's amazing, and she's someone who really is trying to combat that kind of negative stereotype that people tend to have, and I think this is something that we as a society... This is this broadens out to everyone. Need to work on and being more inclusive. Not trying to say let's cut people off, but you can't also force that because when you try to force that onto people who aren't ready for it, it can also make it things worse because you'll always have that pushback. You have to make things natural for them. Sadly, it's a slow and steady progress where you have to slowly but surely work the gears and try to grind that away so that you can have a nice smooth countertop. If you try to instantly make it look beautiful right away by pounding it with a hammer, it's only going to crack. Yeah, no, I, I get you, man. Um, so it is, it is good to see, you know, at least one community kind of taking a stand, even if it is on like what is typically like kind of a, a trolley, silly day. So interesting stuff, good conversation to have and, you know, kind of outside the scope of what we talk about here, but it's still important to, you know, to remember to remind people to, to be welcoming and and open to new ideas. So let's go ahead and move ourselves on into the pop culture section. Man, this is, this is a packed show. We might run a little overtime this week, but let's start by talking about some cool stuff that's coming up in movies and television. Um, and the first of which is that we will uh, be seeing uh, somebody who's been in the news quite a lot lately. Jordan Peele is going to be doing I some work Jordan on the Twilight Peele. Zone after us, after... Get out, things like that. Like, he's, he's going to be moving on to the Twilight Zone, and this is kind of exciting stuff. I know, Magical, you have a lot to talk about in this. Oh, my. So, one, I have respected Jordan Peele for years. He is such a great writer when it comes to his comedy sketches, his dramas. We t you just talked about Get Out, Us. He is so good at what he does with this. It always blows my mind. And me, I am a huge nerd for Twilight Zone. Ever since I was very little, my mom would have me watch the sci-fi channel with old reruns of Twilight Zone that I would watch for hours because I loved it so much. So seeing Jordan Peele get a crack at how he's going to take Twilight Zone makes me happy because he's also someone who writes in that similar kind of vein where it's not necessarily about being overtly scary and creepy with just trying to have flashes of light it's about the subtle context of everything that's what's really the actual true horror is that you might think like think of a uh, to serve man that's one of my favorite episodes where the whole time you think that these people are there to help you they're kind of creepy looking and then it turns out that to serve man is a cookbook uh, spoilers yes i know but it's also been out for about 80 years so if i'm spoiling that too bad so it's just one of those things. It, I love how he writes it. And there's another one where 
like you look at how Rod Serling originally wrote where people crash landed on a planet. It's a desert planet. They have no idea where they are. They have no water. They're dying. And one of the guys goes crazy and starts killing the other uh, people who he crashed with just for their water so he could survive. Only to find out they crashed in Nevada. It's stuff like that. And I feel like Jordan Peele has that ability to write that kind of style where you think that it's a, a, a horror. Like you look at Get Out where you think it's going to be this overtly horror horrific thing and it is but it turns out much more to be that psychological thing of people trying to prolong their lives and they're using people just for their bodies in order to make sure that they can constantly keep going it's something you don't expect when you first look at it you're like okay they're just a little creepy and then it turns out no 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 they're they're ter terrible people and this is what they're doing and i that's what i like about it and i feel like his take on twilight zone could have that same kind of underlying creep factor that i really crave yeah i, I get you I, I think i'll definitely have to check this one out when it comes through chase any any thoughts on that yeah i mean i just think jordan peele is such a talented uh creative mind i i think that the thing that's always made him so fascinating as a filmmaker is you look at how he took his co comedy stuff right because key and peele was a great comedy show for mm -hmm. several that's what he was originally known for that yeah. was how he made his yep. name and what is comedy well it's uh taking something in that you notice in society and taking it to an extreme for a comedic effect but you can twist that on the other end as well for that psychological element and i feel like a lot of the themes that ran through uh uh get out was similar stuff to what he covered in some of those uh c comedy sketches i don't i think that a lot of the idea of the uh, quote-unquote white ally, I voted for Obama and I would have voted for him a third time too kind of person. Like, that's the kind of thing they've been making fun of for a long time. And uncovering those things and using it to create that kind of tenseness uh, is a very different um, feel to it, but it's applying the same skill set. I haven't seen us yet. I want to, and I'm sure I will at some point. But I think that when you look at that mindset, it's exactly what you want for Twilight Zone. And I think he's gonna do an amazing job and I think it's going to terrify me. And I'm excited for that. I think I'm excited for that. Question mark? I'm, ex I'm excited for it. I'm just so it. ready. Well, you know, we're definitely gonna oh. have to we're definitely gonna have to review when we when we actually do go through and watch it all. Yes. But uh, since we're still moving, let's go on to a topic that I know Chase is chomping at the bit about. Yeah. We have never delved into this particular subgenre of things, uh, but we go in K-pop because Blackpink, <laughs> who are apparently Chase's favorite K-pop band, are set for a big old comeback, so why don't you take yeah, it? Yeah, man, Chase? Blackpink's in your area. I'm so excited for this and that you allow me to do this on this show. Uh, Blackpink's really good. I had no choice. <laughs> to, to, to give, Chase is blackmailing me. To, to, Help. To give you an idea. <laughs> or being held captured. This is a group that sold out one of the biggest uh, North American tours a K-pop group has ever done in less than an hour at each location. Uh, this is a group that had over 700 million views on the last uh, song that they released a music video for. And the crazy thing about them is that this has all happened while the label wasn't making music for them because they didn't have to because people kept buying the same five songs that they had put out for so long that they just kept making music videos off of that and they were getting all these sponsorship deals and fashion deals and whatever. So who needs to make music? And then finally, 
after enough fan pressure, they're like, okay, okay, let's put out two albums this year. Are you happy now? And the answer is yes. Yes, I am, because I get to watch Blackpink make music again. Uh, Lisa is my favorite, and she looks stunning in the new teaser that just came out. She's the rapper slash dancer of the group and is absolutely killing it. I have no idea what to expect from this album in general, because half of the teasers have been like this blood red with like creepy sounds in the background and some gunfire, almost like it's like a horror film. It looks... It looks a bit like like Tomb Raider kind of esque yeah. too when you look at the album. And cover. then yeah, then the poster is Tomb Raider, and then I'm like, okay, so maybe Tomb Raider gone wrong, right? They go into a dungeon and things are creepy, and they have to, you know, fashionably explore whatever. But then the teaser came out right before we broadcasted this, and it's got organs and trumpets, and it's a very triumphant like, here come the queens ready to take over the world again. And I, my mind is blown. I don't know what you're, I don't know what this is anymore. I feel like I've been giving four different ideas of what this is going to be. And I guess I should go off of the one that says 20 seconds from the song as the one it's probably going to be. I guess. But I'll. I mean, you're going to have to wait a couple of days to find out, I suppose. I have to wait. Literally, I, I believe we're talking about. Uh, less than 48 hours at this point because it comes out. So this should, by the time you're listening to this, this should be out. And, it, and by the way, just in case you guys aren't 100% sure what we're talking about, it, uh, Blackpink's new album, Kill This Love, is dropping on the 5th of this month. I'm so, so yeah, about 48 hours from the time we're recording. I'm sorry, guys. This is that's really, okay. <laughs> this is really exciting. Case. That's why that's why I that's why I got the main He's crying now. right now, guys. You can't tell that it's he's crying so through good. the mic. <laughs> See, see. <laughs> you know, I'm really glad I let you do this at the end of the day. I was, yeah. This is Chase, great. Chase this came is to me great. Like, I, look, I want to do a K-pop bit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and you know, now I'm gonna give it a listen when it comes out, and I'll see what see what all the fuss is about. Yes. So, cool. That wraps us up for the news section, except for one more bit, and this is really exciting in context of what we're gonna do immediately afterwards. It is the fact that Umbrella Academy has been renewed for a second season. This is the most obvious thing I would hope uh, to anybody, and it hasn't even been confirmed. But supposedly, according to Screen Rant, uh, Screen Rant, season two will begin production in May, and it'll run until September, and then it should drop on Netflix whenever they decide to put it out there. And this is super exciting because we've finally all finished The Umbrella Academy Season one, and we'll be having a discussion right after this. So, first off, season two, hype, gentlemen, how exciting! Yes, yes, oh my god, yes, I'm so happy, especially with how it ended. You're like, oh no, yeah, it was like it was good. Ever. Well, it's like it's I so. I was told to watch it by a close friend of mine. She told me that I needed to watch it, and I'd been putting it off. That's how I got you guys into it. <laughs> I dragged you along with me for the road, and she's like, oh, don't worry. It ends, like, pretty conclusively. And then I watched it. I'm like, you wow. lied. You lied. You, got, you sit on a throne of lies. Um, yeah. Wow, that was, that's the biggest debate ever, man. Okay. Um, yeah, so, Chase, yes. season one. You got it all done, yeah? I did. I sure did. Excellent. Let's talk about it. We had talked up to episode six, and I believe you said that you actually hadn't watched six. You'd watched up to five and got really confused, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you lead in with your first impression since you've watched it the most recently? 
awesome. Uh, I am mad at this show. I think I might hate this show now. I think that might be oh, no. where I'm at. And I want to be that I can't, like, I think that my hate and frustration can only really come at a show that's really close to being good. Like, I don't, I don't think this is a bad, like, straight up, like, a bad show in terms of uh, the production quality. The music's great. The cinematography is often quite good. Ellen Page is a very good actress. Some of the others are not. Um, but I think I, it, episode six was the moment I said, uh-oh, I don't know that this is going to ever click for me because they show us what I thought was the best episode of the season yeah. and then said, JK, it didn't happen. Don't worry about it. Number five's here. We're redoing the timeline. Hope you didn't, you know, invest emotionally in the character growth of some of these things and really enjoy the moments that came across there. Hope that's fine that you don't care about any of that opening, especially Klaus, right? Because Klaus had what was, to me, one of the most cathartic and emotionally involving moments of the show where he gets to see uh, his uh, partner one more time, something that does not happen in the other version of the plotline. So I guess F me, right? Um, did not care for that. Uh, I got to say this, um, and this is going to be, uh, this is going to get some hate. Um, I'm glad Pogo died. I'm going to say it. I'm glad he died. You're evil. You're an evil he human is, being. How dare you? No. <laughs> I want to How many times do we need to look at history and the guy is like, look, I'm not going to give you the information that you need in order to best <laughs> approach the problem that you have because I'm not going to interfere with what you're doing. The dad was a terrible person. The literal... But he was the, made the by him! The fate oh of the God. world was on the line. The literal fate... This is about the apocalypse. Any piece of information that comes up here should probably trump well, some sort second. of loyalty. Did 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 po did Pogo like know all the details of it? Though? He, he didn't. Didn't. He, he didn't though. He never the knew the I'm, full he, details. He was they never told what, Pogo. He was following what what the dad was he saying. Was, now, that, that, he was I'm there not for the conversations the that Number Five had with the group. He's been in all these conversations and he said did, no. He hasn't. He's been out of the room. And the thing next thing is even if he's in some of them. He, who's to say that he would trust number five who just came back and not think that it's just the ramblings of a child? Because the he knows, because he tells us that he knows that the dad killed himself to get him together because the apocalypse was coming. That was the whole thing. That's why he knew that mom's circuitry had been turned off to protect and administer first aid because he knew that they needed to come back and he had to die to do it because it was something super damn important but then you didn't give him all the information and I hate him and I hate him and I hate... Well, maybe he, need, maybe he <laughs> no. needed it to unfold that way because the only way he yeah. was going to get Yeah, killed. man. I'm so know, glad man. that he did like, it that way. This it is ended the problem so with well, time travel shows. So well <laughs> this is the problem with time travel shows in my mind is that you always have these like complete like yeah. oh what is going on with my head but yeah they 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 definitely screwed with us with that episode I will I will give you the the whole day that wasn't thing there was all this resolution. that one I was upsetting yeah that yeah, was and, definitely and upsetting. Then they were, I mean to be fair immediately after all the happy endings happened like the world just explodes so you're like okay well I guess it's probably good they're rewinding but yeah, it, it it definitely teases a lot. Now that being said, we did have a big cliffhanger at the end where you know Vanya like 
hyperbeams the the moon. Yeah, and because then gets knocked because out. Because Luther is a jerk and a terrible person who locks her away, even though everyone in the family agrees that I she agree. shouldn't do that, and creates a goddamn supervillain. I agree. And his entire arc for the first season is: Dad left me up on the moon to die. We shouldn't isolate people like he isolated me. Hold on, let me isolate my sister. And if that, <laughs> f that, f that See, character, is, f the uh, show. I'm done. I agree with done. you on. I agree with you on Luther. I do agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I was Luther. very disappointed Luther, when Luther did that. That one definitely upset me too because I'm like, okay, I can understand initially locking her in there, but when everyone else is saying we can trust her, that's when you go, okay. If you think if she's calming down, like, because you don't know at first, you're, you're kind of like, oh, I, it's unknown what's going on, but you talk about it. You get a little bit more of a sense of it. You can see she's calming down. That's when you go, okay, let's let her out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he yeah. didn't. And, and that, then, that and was what, when I got upset with Luther. the woman that you say that you love when she says, let me talk to her. But no, instead you have to go into a yeah. fist fight at the end and ruin everything because that's the way yep. that we get to the end. It, this... The number one trope yeah. that I hate well, okay. in shows so like here's, this, here's the communication thing. fixes every problem in this show, and they refuse... But it wouldn't be a drama without poor communication. But but here's the thing, Chase. Yeah. I think, and this is, again, I, I agree with you. I think it was dumb that they did that, at least that Luther did that. But in terms of character, I don't think it's super outside of what he would have done because he may not be listening to Allison, but he sees what happened to her as a result of Vanya's powers, and I think that scared the shit out of him. Yeah, that's true. I just feel like you... And that's kind of like... That's kind of like where I, I interpreted it coming from. I agree with you. I think it like created a lot of unnecessary drama, but I didn't think it was because it was like an out-of-character moment. Then what was the point of the moon arc? That's my question. If the point of the moon arc isn't the... we shouldn't isolate people just because we feel uncomfortable with their powers and situation, what was the point? Because Luther never learned the le lesson from it. Lu yeah. That's the thing. Is it was to illustrate to the viewer that Luther didn't le learn the lesson from it. That he should have learned a lesson from it, but he didn't. That was what the idea of it was. Was Luther is incapable of understanding that he thinks still that his father is a pure altruistic kind of guy who is only looking out for the best for the humanity, and he does not understand that his father is flawed and is not necessarily the best kind of person. Yeah, but uh, I, yeah. So Chase, Chase, uh, a little, a little uh, less than <laughs> excited about all the developments. Do we feel like it was it was chalked up more to like the writing being a little off, or just that it was just a little too crazy across the board? I mean, I, I think it's time travel. Yeah. I I think it's okay. the writing. I, I, my problem wasn't the time travel elements as much as it was just not sticking to the characters that they'd created. Remember that weird moment where Allison gets mad at Luther for sleeping with someone even though they're not dating and didn't have the revelation that they had feelings for each other in this version of the timeline? Mm, That's just yeah. bad writing. Oh, yeah. That's not... And and Mary yeah, J. Blige, like, that whole, like, cha-cha went nowhere. That whole thing was just a loop so we can get him to the exact same I need to save Agnes point that we were an episode before that. What was the point of sending Diego to jail when in the very next scene we see him, we free him with a key and it's like the conversation never happens? They don't... It... Uh, mm, brain yeah. broke. I mean, I mean I feel, it's kind of hard to see that season two is going to do anything to address that because they basically just hopped in a portal. <laughs> yes. But... But it was I'm cool hoping visually. they just dropped the elements. Yeah. yeah, I have to. I have to admit the the, uh, the visuals were, were quite cool. Um, but yeah, it definitely was a little. 
a little uh, unresolved plot hole-ish stuff. I don't know. I'm still going to watch season two. I'm still excited for it. Uh, but yeah, you, you kind of have to turn off the, the, the critical brain for a few things. That's fair. I feel like that's how I am whenever I watch anything that has to deal with time travel. Whether it's Doctor Who, whether it's... Oh, Doctor, Who's the wor- Doctor Who is actually like... Yeah. You know, I love it. I, I, I love the show, but I loved it like back during the tenant days, during the uh, the Matt Smith Ugh. days. And when I go back and rewatch it, I actually ask myself like, how did I not question half the things that were going on? Because you really have it's to get be- sucked into the world to to buy it. You have to get sucked into the world, and you pretty much just have to ignore the time traveling. You have to be like, yeah, sure, whatever. You just have to go along with it, because yeah. when you think too much, too in-depth about it, you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't work with this and this and this. So that's usually, whenever I see time travel, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ignoring that and just acting like no matter what happens, yeah, sure, of course. You know what I've been watching recently? Uh, just, just It's on Netflix here, and I just like tuned into it because I never watched it back in the day. It was Torchwood, and that's even worse. Because they really mess around with, like, all the goofy, time travel like, alien stuff and just, like, bend so many of the rules that are already established. So, yeah, it's definitely a bit of a trope sometimes in sci-fi that they break those things. Um, but okay, so that is Umbrella Academy Season 1. As far as our next binge watch, uh, we're going to be doing Love, Death, and Robots. Now, I think we should probably give ourselves a couple of weeks to finish this, guys. Does that sound fair? Yeah. Yeah, I think we should go into next week with having at least watched the first episode. Yeah, at least one, just so we get the intro. I know Magical's going to have them all done by, like, tomorrow. That's fine. Hey! Try to contain <laughs> uh, your excitement on that regard. Uh, It'll probably yeah. be uh, Thursday, because i got to wake up early tomorrow. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, we, have a, we have a question. For the first time, we have a listener question, actually. And this is going to force us to uh, time travel all the way back to... Uh, I'm thinking this is League of Legends related. I know Chase, you sourced this question, yes. so you can you can clarify it for is me. League of Legends. Um, okay, cool. So let's go ahead and read it out because you know it's the first time we'll have a listener question we can actually answer. So we're into the Q and A portion that we previously did not have existing. Uh, but this comes from the Titan eighty four, and uh, the question for the GGWP: Should EU and NA, and this is regards to League of Legends, always strive to have only the most competitive teams? each team striving for perfection to win the game or is it okay to have a few teams that are simply not as good as others leading to funnier if less competitive games uh so this is taking into account the differing but similar structures in na and eu professional league of legends uh let's dive right into it do you want to go ahead and kick this off magical yeah so i think no matter what you have you should always have the most competitive teams now, that doesn't necessarily mean being perfect, but they should go into every match thinking that they can win. And uh, this is a little bit different from wh- what I think you're trying to say here, which is just like, oh, can you have some teams that don't care as much? I think every team should always go into a match and care deeply that they're going to win or lose. However, I think that there should be a more options where I've, I'm a proponent of expanding both EU and NA into 12 teams so that you can have teams that maybe aren't as good. Maybe they aren't going to be the top of the top, but they're going to be these teams that are going to go into it with unique strategies, who are going to try to see if they can be the next unicorns of love. And that's a team that I've always loved. You look at how they originally were able to climb up the challenger ladder was because they had the York-Cassiopeia composition that they ran and were undefeated with. That's how they got into EULCS back in the day. I think that is something that we need to see a little bit more of. We need to see a couple of these teams try to expand, uh, broaden their horizon. Say, okay, what other kind of strategies can we play? If we can't play 
Team Liquids. If we can't play Fnatic's, Origins, G2's meta, why don't we make our own? Why don't we force them to bend to us? And I feel like that is what we need to see more, is teams being less less driven to be be like the top team. They don't need to be that competitive style, but they should be competitive in the fact that they try to create their own path and their own destiny. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the question has to come in, because this is the angle I come at it from. I think teams, all of your incentives are to create the best team that you can. There's no reason other than cost cutting, which if you were really worried about cutting costs, why did you spend $10 million to enter franchising? Um, but other than that, there's there's really no reason to not try to form the most competitive team that you can. Uh, brand recognition, jersey sales, revenue sharing in general, you, you do better as a company if you do your best to make the best roster possible. So I think that all of their incentives are always going to line up that way. I think that the question I have is, does Riot North America and Riot Europe care about being the most serious successful region because if you do your regular season should be best of threes you should move your regular season to best of threes like every other major region does spread out your games over a longer number of days and follow suit with what china and korea are doing because those are the two best regions in the world we have so much evidence that getting more games under your belt gives you more experience which means players learn more in those important matches and it creates better teams by the time they hit these international events this isn't rocket science. We know that this is a thing. We know this is a thing from every esport that's basically ever existed. So do you care, Riot, whether a North American or European team ever wins a world championship? Because if you do, you should be moving the best of three because it'll make your region better. It'll make it more competitive. I don't think... I get what you're saying. I don't, th I don't think they do, I don't do, think though. they do at all. No, I think this is going exactly... No, I think they care about viewership. And this they is, care this about is, viewership. By the way, this is from somebody that worked you know, in the EU office for four years. You look at... You look at the uh, trends in the way that the league's been structured going forward, and I, I personally think like maybe eight teams would have probably been sufficient from a competitive standpoint. I actually think less teams means it's a little bit more competitive in that regard. Uh, but at the same time, also you know you have a big, you have the bigger the region in terms of player base, the probably the better the, the better the teams are going to be overall, anyways, um, with some exceptions. Uh, but I think. Really, what Riot wants to do is, is maximize their viewership, and, and that's why you have, like, best of one. You can argue till the cows come home about, you know, best of one versus best of three and what creates a more competitive environment. And I know the players will always say they want the most competitive stuff and best of one suck, but there's no doubt that you get more exciting games in best of ones overall, like in a longer yes. run. You have less games, meaning each one counts more individually, which means draft trickery and mind games and things like that factor so much more in. And this is where you get to that situation like Unicorns of Love, like you're talking about. Uh, where this is super, this is super cool to see like weird different strategies take root. And I, I like to see more of that even in stronger regions, like people pulling out pocket picks. I, I, I hate it when the meta is stale, when people only pick the same, you know, three, four champions in every single role. Uh, so I, I guess, you know, for my take on this question is, is like, should EU and NA strive to have only the most competitive teams? Well, I mean, I think they always do, but the definition of what's competitive, I think can vary. Like, you want if you're the publisher if you're if you're the tournament organizer you want the most exciting stuff to happen regardless of how competitive it is i think competition will bring out more views but stale competition really doesn't right there should always be room for innovation and i think uh, a format like a best of one um with you know with more teams like 10 teams at least does bring a lot more to the table 
I'd like to see higher stakes for like individual games. Like I think, you know, I have some pretty crazy ideas, like maybe split one should be something different. We've talked about that before um, because people don't really pay as much attention to it since it doesn't count towards worlds. It counts towards MSI instead. I don't know. I think overall, like the league formats for NA and EU seem okay to me. Uh, I like best of ones personally. And, um, you know, multiple round robins makes a lot of sense as well. But there's no denying that there's like a, a higher competitive level when you talk about regions like Korea and China. So funnier, maybe less competitive games. I think those are just as good for viewership. And I think they're just as good for competition and prep anyways. It's just that you won't have to deal with them when you go up against some of those other stronger regions. So I guess the answer is yes. <laughs> I don't have anything better so, than that. And, well, see, uh, I just yeah. I just want to like add on to what you were saying. It's like when you look at the, uh, North America, the, this split alone, Golden Guardians, I think, is the team everyone should root for. And the reason being is because they are the team most likely to try to innovate. You have Froggen, a guy who likes to play Karthus, who likes to play Anivia, who likes to play Velkaz. He likes to play And you know what? These two of those things. champions are meta. It, because of it, because of him, probably. Wow, yeah. Karthus exactly. was only even seen as meta from from a jungle stand, standpoint, and then you have Frog and say, no, 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 give it to me in mid. This I can play it in mid. Don't worry. So it made it so people go, oh, more, this has broader horizons than we even realized. And this is why I think that if you're going to look at this, you do actually want to have the best of ones. I think you want to have it for that viewer standpoint. And this is where I understand where Riot's coming from, because at the end of the day, it's the bottom dollar. What's going to sell you the best? Are you going to be able to sell a bunch of games that are spread out between five days really easily to investors? Or are you going to be able to get when you have guaranteed over 100,000 viewers every single stream because you only do it two times a week? I'd rather take that if I'm going from a riot standpoint than going from a we might be lucky if we get like 60, 70,000 on like a Tuesday. So for, just from a business standpoint, as a viewer, I kind of like having more games personally. I like to be able to just go, okay, what were the interesting games? What what teams chose the weirdest picks? What Who was the most like, likely to experiment? That's what I look up. And if I'm going to go for a lot of games... But I understand where Riot's coming from. I understand why they would decide to go for best of one for North America and Europe, which are two regions that aren't necessarily as invested in esports as you look over to Korea and China, who have a far more invested interest just as a whole, as a nation, as a people, into esports, where North America and Europe, especially North America, are still struggling to really break that ground and say this is the big thing that everyone should pay attention North to. North America, I get it. Europe, I think has enough of a passionate audience they could pull it off yeah um they're better they're better north america i think is where they really are looking for and europe is more of a they just do whatever north america does all right well i guess that's going to be it for us we had a real long episode it was a really good one as well so uh, once again if you guys want to get in touch and get some of your answers uh answered out on air you can always get a hold of us uh we can talk in various discords as well but officially we are available on twitter at the ggw pod that is once again at the ggw pod uh get in touch with us there and ask us some questions you can also get in touch with us on gmail we are geeksgamingworldwide at gmail.com and of course this is the ggwp the ggwp stands of course for the geeks and gaming worldwide podcast thank you all so much for listening on behalf of myself, Pyrotechnics, Chase Wasnar, and Mad Magical, we will see you guys next time. Say goodbye, gentlemen. Goodbye, gentlemen. Goodbye, gentlemen. Pogo did nothing wrong. Okay.
Have yourself back.